Good morning, everyone. How you doing today? Happy, happy, happy Memorial Day. As mentioned in the daily financial news, we have the one and only Greg Dickerson with us this morning. How you doing, sir? Doing great, Michael. How are you? I'm doing very well. Let's let's get this important thing out of the way first. As you have shared in your story, you served in the military uh, for a few years after high school. So uh, on Memorial Day, we all thank you for your service. Yeah, thank you very much. And thank you to everybody out there who has served and is serving. Um, you know, everybody in my family, all the men in my family all served. And my grandfather was a uh, Pearl Harbor survivor. He was in the army at Pearl Harbor when it was attacked and, and oh, he wow. survived that. Yeah. Ah, runs, uh, runs a long way. Both my parents served. It's actually where they met. Uh, and uh, obviously, I'm glad they did. So thanks, mom. Mm -hmm. Thanks, dad, for serving. You probably uh, wouldn't be here if they didn't. I, I, yeah, I think I think I think that's how it works. Yeah, I don't think I would be here if they if they hadn't met thanks to the military service. So, go mom, go dad. Uh, what I thought I would do in this first episode, folks, because if you don't know yet, we talk to experts Sunday through Friday, and we always attack three different topics. The first topic, Greg, I think is one a lot of people are asking themselves. I've spent a lot of time this weekend thinking about, and mm -hmm. that is how long. Can single family homes stay hot? I think we need mm -hmm. to define the word hot, but uh, let me just take a pause. And, and when I ask you that, what, what are the first couple of things that come to mind? Yeah. So first off, you know, we always qualify this with, you know, real estate is hyper local. So every market's different. There are still markets right now where you can't give away houses for free. And there's markets where you can't find a house at any price. So you know, you got to qualify that with where are the hot markets. And there are certain markets that are just red, red hot right now where uh, you can't find a place to rent. You can't find a place to buy, you know, inventory all the way down. And that's a lot of markets in Florida because they've got a lot of influx of people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some of the markets in uh, Tennessee, Nashville is red, red hot right now. Um, Arizona, um, you know, what else is um, Nevada? You know, so a lot of areas like that where a lot of people are moving. So when you say, you know, red hot housing market, what I'm thinking is, you know, obviously it's supply and demand. So there's no inventory. Um, and, you know, prices are, are at all time highs right now. But again, it's all a function of the financing. So yeah, um, how long can the market stay hot as long as the rates stay low? Yeah, I think a lot, it's pretty funny. I think I think I think you're right on that. Right. One of the when I thought about these things, I actually came up with six categories to think about. And one of them, actually, number two, I wrote on the list and it's probably the most important is low rates. Right. If you, if you could tell me today when the 30-year mortgage will be 5%, I could tell you when the housing market will slow down, right? It's kind of, it's kind of that simple equation because you go from a 3% to a 5%. That takes a lot of would-be yes answers and turns them no. Uh, that dramatically slows down demand. And when you slow down demand, supply builds and, you know, over time, price elasticity, you know, prices adjust. So, uh, mm -hmm. I do think, I think interest rates is the most acute. I mean, you know, I, again, if tomorrow the market opened in the bond market, the 10 year shot up from 1.6 to, you know, 3.6, I'm not saying it will, but if it did, that would, that would stop housing almost immediately in its tracks. Yeah. And you see it every time you see it in the news, every time, every time market rates tick up just a little bit, mortgage applications drop. So everybody, 
I'll give you the best way to think about this. So it's two things. It's the rates, number one, the level of the rates. Number two, it's the availability of the money, the liquidity. Yes. So as uh, lending requirements strengthen and weaken, you know, remember after 08, 09, man, the, the, the requirements went through the roof in terms of what, what you needed to be able to get a loan. Yeah. So that affected things and affected the market. And then, you know, since then they've started loosening requirements and we even saw, you know, balance sheet loans mm -hmm. and, and uh, small business income loans. So if you had a small business and you didn't have the tax returns to qualify for a loan, they would look at your bank statements, you know, but those are higher interest rates. So these creative loan products started coming around again, you know, here in the last number of years to where it's easier to borrow money, but it's more expensive. If you want, if you want the best rates, then you got to have a good credit score, you got to have a good down payment, um, you know, those types of things. And if the property doesn't appraise, you got to make up the difference. So yeah. there's some things there. But the best way to think about this is just like the retail world. When is the last time you bought something that wasn't on sale? You yeah. know, I don't buy anything at retail anymore. I <laughs> wait for the sales. Yeah. Interest rates are the same way. People are very tuned in. People that are in the market mm -hmm. are very tuned into interest rates. And they've got a number that they're looking at. Number one, because it's largely based on your ability to qualify. And number two, you know, it's a mental threshold, right? Yep. Used to be 5%. Then it was 4%. Now mm -hmm. it's 3%. Yeah. You know, people are, you know, yeah. if rates get up over 3%, three and a half, man, people just stop. You they know, get really grouchy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just really, really interesting. And, you know, so what's going to, you know, what would tank the market ultimately when you say tank the market, you know, that will stop the demand for right. mortgages. And right. uh, what's, what's the demand for mortgages? That's buyers. So we say tank the market. That's what that means. 5% is the number. You start getting over into the fours and up near the fives, you're done. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. I think five percent is the number. Uh, and again, I we got to be very clear because a lot of people might take this as we're calling for a crash. We are not calling for no. a crash, right? This this would be a demand slowdown. We're not even calling for five percent. We're just we're just looking out, going what could cause this to get less hot. Uh, I'll just run through the other five just because I have them. Uh, the other thing I think that's important is I think this cycle is the first event in my lifetime, which is nearly five decades, that actually changed consumer behavior. Mm -hmm. Right. The dot com really didn't change it. Great Recession really didn't change it. This one did. And what I mean by that is the house, the home is looked at differently. Right. There, I, I started saying space is good. You know, mom and dad want that extra bedroom uh, for their office. They, they want a backyard to kick their kids outside or let the dog run around. Right. It's it's you know, people are looking for the home and they are they're You know, the move to the suburbs, urban, tall urban structures out, you know, urban or suburbia. Good. I think that's a trend that probably continues. What do you think? Well, you know, that depends. So there, people are going back to the cities now, mm -hmm. now that things are open back up. So the yep. key there was lifestyle. And what people were looking at was, hey, I go to the city for the lifestyle, mm -hmm. for the amenities, for the entertainment, you know, those types of things. And when that was shut down, people left the cities. Uh, and, you know, a lot of it is the, the um, uh, you know, political environment and the um, homeless environment and things yeah. like that in some cities where you've got this homeless population that's just expanding, that's driving people out. You've got the political environment where they're not enforcing laws, <laughs> you know, that's driving people out. And then you had like in New York, it was just a shutdown of the entertainment. So people were like, I pay a premium to live in New York for the amenities. Mm -hmm. So once the amenities were gone, people just left New York. So now that they're open, you know, people are coming back. So the greatest cities, you know, in this country, they're not going anywhere. You know, no, people aren't going to leave in mass. And a lot of it's age, right? So millennials love cities, but then there's older generations that love cities too that, you know, were raised in the cities and things like that. But yes, you are seeing huge, huge 
um, escape to the suburbs. Again, Arizona, you know, some Colorado, Arizona, Nevada, um, Tennessee, Utah, uh, and Florida. You know, yeah. you're seeing people, yeah, Utah, you're seeing people, you know, head to those places in mass. And, you know, all you got to do is go to U-Haul, you know, yeah, moving exactly. truck company and just track their moving data and you'll see where, where people yeah. are going. And it's, it's really interesting. So, so that is still a trend, um, but cities aren't going anywhere. You know, no. the, the city thing is, you know, uh, especially the big cities. Yeah. I think the big cities will be back. They're just, they're just going to be different. I do think there's a, I think there's a contingent of folks that maybe always thought that they'd eventually go to the suburbs when they wanted kids and whatnot. And they've, they've just kind of, you know, pulled that file, that, uh, that, that set of folks forward, uh, you know, yeah. I, I and here's what we do know. So the big, you know, pontification, you know, last year when this was all going down and it was, is it, I mean, it's been a year. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's crazy. You know, yeah. I mean, it's been such a fast year, maybe for a lot of people listening, it hasn't been such a fast year, but for me, mm. unbelievable how fast this year's gone with, yeah. with uh, the pandemic. But what, what did you see this weekend? You know, you saw the, um, uh, what was that race where 150 something thousand people. Indy 500, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Daytona 500, it could, or, you know, is that what it was? Um, I think it was Indy know, 500. You, Indy 500, Indy 500. Yeah, just people back, that's the biggest event since the pandemic. Yeah. No masks, everybody there, right? And yeah. probably half of them aren't vaccinated, you know? So yeah. we always wondered how quick people would be to go back. Now, here's the interesting thing. I went to the movies last couple of weekends since the theaters opened up. You know, we like to go every weekend. Still hardly anybody in the theaters, you know, mm -hmm. they're not, not that many people going back to theaters yet, but that's largely because there's not really great movies. Mm -hmm. um, although we saw Cruella this weekend. And for those of you watching, that was a killer movie. Yeah. Okay. Look at that movie. Yeah, that was a good movie, Cruella. <laughs> so anyways, but long story short, people are traveling, people are back out. So people aren't scared. So we're going to see, you know, the economy start to recover in that sense. Yeah. Um, and people get back to work. So uh, it's really interesting how short our memories can be yeah. with things. I so that's agree. the moral of the story. That's all that, you know, long way to get around to just saying we have short-term memories in this country. Yeah. 0809, biggest housing collapse in the history of the world. Mm. We're, you know, we're kind of back to some dangerous ground again, you know? Yeah. I think there's two more things I'll just lump together, and, and those are kind of uh, generational things. First off, uh, Barry Habib brought this up to me when we talked. Millennials are of that age now that they're right at 33, which is the first time homebuyer age. I think it's mm -hmm. interesting. For the next several years, uh, the number of 33-year-olds actually increase, uh, which I think is a good sign for first-time homebuyers. And then on the other end, baby boomers. Baby boomers are increasingly aging in place. Right. Mm -hmm. Historical norms that we've been told about is, oh, the baby boomers, they're going to sell their big ass houses that don't have any kids and move to wherever. Uh, more and more baby boomers are aging in place for a decade longer than past generations. So there's generational trends going on right now. Yeah, they're living support. longer. Home health care is a, you know, at home, mm -hmm. uh, you know, assisted living, uh, you know, and, and things like that are, are creating opportunities for people to stay in their houses longer. And, you know, my mom just recently sold and she's in her seventies, you know, yep. and so, you know, classic example. I mean, I told her to sell, you know, when my dad passed away a number of years ago, but she stayed and could have mm -hmm. stayed longer if she wanted to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the last two, we'll just talk about, just finish off the six uh, builders. This is actually an area. I think that's going to be topic number three for us today. Uh, but builders, they've, uh, yeah, I mean, if you believe the media, they, they've been underbuilding for 10 years. And a lot of at least the public builders right now are slowing down. 
right? On yeah, yeah. we can save that for segment three to talk about it, but the millennial thing too. So that's what's driving the market. So millennials yeah. are the ones because they're, they're, like you said, they're reaching that age, they're getting out and they're, you know, they're having kids. So they want that yard, they want that picket fence. And, you know, that that's who's driving the market right now and purchase power. And, you know, for them, you know, they don't understand what can happen to a housing market because they didn't mm. go through it. So paying what they're paying now, their mindset is at least the feedback I get a lot of times in my videos are, you know, oh, the market's just going to keep going up. If you look at where prices were, you know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago mm. compared to now. But you got to remember, we're in a very we're in a boom cycle right now. You yeah. know, 09, 08, 09 wiped out 50 percent or more of the values of housing. And it took, you know, 11 years to come back from that to where the houses just started getting back to where they were 0405 before the crash. So a lot of people just don't realize that. They don't look at the trends and they don't go back and look at that. And they don't feel like housing housing can come down from where it is now. Uh, so it's it's going to be really interesting to see. And that was a question I put in one of my videos is if you just recently bought a house and you're paying retail all-time highs for it, how are you going to feel when that house in six months, and I'm not saying this will happen, but let's just say it did, in six yeah. months is worth uh, a half, of what it is now. How do you feel about <laughs> them? You know, uh, you know, I mean, what's your mindset? That's all yeah, I'm just yeah, saying. What, yeah, would your, yeah. what would your thought process be then? You know, is it, you know, so it'll be interesting to see when it happens because it's going to happen when rates yeah. go up, you know, housing values go down. It's just the cycle of the, uh, you know, the market, you know, how people will feel about their value of their house at that time. Yeah. Yeah. We can definitely dive into that a little bit more. Let's just close off my list of six and that is Wall Street. Uh, and investors that follow one rental at a time, right? We are picking mm -hmm. off more and more affordable homes. And uh, I actually interviewed somebody who's been in the business data, right? Data business of real estate for several decades. And he's like, Michael, people don't understand. When Wall Street buys one of these affordable homes, it's off the market forever, right? You know, 10 years ago, people were thinking, oh, Wall Street, they bought them at a discount. They'll, they'll wrap them, they'll sell them. You know, when, when's Wall Street gonna sell was a very common conversation. And my buddy's like, Michael, they're never going to sell. They, you know, mm -hmm. most of those guys don't have any money in the deal and they're producing six, eight, 9% yields. Why would they sell? So I just mm -hmm. think that's interesting is Wall Street picks up more and more homes. They, they uh, you know, these iBuyers uh, like Redfin and Zillow, they're just feeding Wall Street. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, it's, it's funny to think about Wall Street now owns less than 1% of, of single family homes. What happens if they get to six or 7%? That's a lot less supply of available affordable homes. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they used to be the mortgage holders. Now they're the owners. So it, yeah. just, it just makes sense because they're, you know, it's annuity. They're looking for long-term mm -hmm. income and it, it makes a lot of sense. So there, there's a niche there. And I don't know what the, you know, market cap of, of the housing in this country is. I have no clue what the overall value of all the houses in the country are, but very, it, you know, they could control a good percentage of it, but not enough to make a, you know, a big enough dent to where it's really going to affect things right now. And it would take a long time, you know, for sure. them to be able to accumulate enough that would, that would make a serious dent uh, overall. But, you know, it's very interesting. And, you know, again, what, what drives the housing market? Number one is finance. Number mm -hmm. one, without the finance, you don't have a deal. And, um, you know, the government participation in that backing up and guaranteeing those loans, you know, driving interest rate action, uh, which drives price action, which which drives demand action. That's really the key to the housing market. It always has been, you know, and mm -hmm. it's been yeah. through through the history of time. But when you go back to the beginning, you know, to now, housing has always gone up, and it's always been a good steady, you know, ten percent of year, a, a year of appreciation over the history of the housing market. So 
interesting yeah. times. So back to the kind of topic at hand, when will housing uh, slow down or how long will housing stay hot? Again, I do think it, I think there's enough, there's generational movement, there's builder lack of supply, there's Wall Street demand. I think it goes back to when does the 30 year hit 5%. And my crystal ball is really fuzzy about next week. It's extremely fuzzy about next year and the years after, but I don't see 30 year fixed rate financing at 5% for years to come. So I think the housing market is hot. I think it slows down, right? I think the last numbers from Case Shiller were like 12%. I think it could slow down to seven or eight percent and then slow down to four or five percent and slow down to two or three percent. So I don't see five percent 30-year mortgage for several years. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. And I think we debunked the housing crash you yeah, know, predictions so. that everybody was making <laughs> I hope you know, so. earlier in the year and last year, talking about this housing crash because of forbearance and you know, all that kind of stuff. And hey, forbearance is over. The programs are being lifted. Yep. Everybody's getting back to work. And guess what? There's no way before closures no. hitting the market. There's just not. Well, great. This has been a lot of fun. Do me a favor. Give your YouTube a channel plug, man. You are doing some great stuff there. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, gregdickerson.com. And for everybody listening who's, who's interested in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, I've been in that market playing with it, you know, since, I don't know, probably what is this, 2021, probably for the last five years when I first became aware of it and, you know, in and out studying it. So I'm starting to make content on that as well to kind of give people the uh, perspective of the market, what's going on. And I don't talk about, you know, specific, you know, currencies and this, that, and the other. I talk about Bitcoin and the market as a whole. So that's cool. that's been getting a lot of traction. People are really enjoying that. So gregdickerson.com, that's my website. YouTube channel podcast is all on there. Very cool. Thank you very much, Greg.